Hey everyone, it's Kendall from Recording Lounge. It is April 4th, 2014. Today I have something interesting to talk about, and it's something that uh, has plagued my mind in many ways for many years, really. And it is the concept of brightness and clarity in in a mix and in a recording. And one thing I sort of want to talk about is, you know, you, there's lots of different varying opinions on brightness. You know, oh, records are too bright now, and oh, songs are too bright, and microphones are too bright, and they're too loud, and, you know, there there's a, as some people say, there's like a fake Chinese hyped top end on these Chinese mics. So they call it like the Chinese 5K bump or something like that. And it, there's all these little conversations that go on. But then there's also conversations that go on about, you know, oh, I cut tons of low mids from my mix and I cut tons of lows and I high pass filter everything. So so more than just highs, we're talking today about the high end and the bottom end, really, um, and why they are so hard to get right and some musings over those topics. So let's get into it. The first bit of this it all came from someone made a post on a, an online forum that basically said, you know, how do you get an awesome top end in your mixes and in your productions? You know, how do you get this awesome, crisp, clear top end that doesn't sound overly EQ'd? And I sort of thought about it for a while and I gave my answer and, you know, lots of other people gave great answers. And one of those things that uh, that I said... Um, sort of intrigued me enough. I was like, you know, I guess that is what I do. You know, I, sometimes I don't think about what I do. I just, I just do it. But analyzing my own process, I sat there and said, you know, I should make a podcast about this because it's really interesting. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not the only one who does this. This is just very common. Uh, I guess it's just sort of how, I don't know. I don't know how I learned it or I, I just do it. Um, so, Let's talk about this for a second. Now, to me, the key to getting a good top end is having a good top end. And I know that sounds stupid and like, okay, yeah, we get it. Obviously, get it right in the room, blah, blah, blah. But I want to take that a step further. So it's not just a, about getting it right in the room. It's really that you can't expect to get a good top end or really bottom end or, I mean, mid-range for that matter if you try to just add it in one pass or take it away in one pass or whatever, you know, like you, you know, you pull up the track and you add some top end like that. That's not how you get a good top end. It doesn't matter what EQ you use or what, you know, Oh, this is the best EQ plugin. Oh, and it's an emulation of the GML or the Poltec or whatever, um, or the Clarifonic. It's not about that really. The, and those things really shine when you use them correctly. And, and I'll talk about what I mean. So let's go in order. Okay, so it, it starts in the room and it starts with the source. So the source, let's say it's drums. Well, generally speaking, drums sound really good with fairly new drum heads. And some drummers might disagree, but, you know, the studio is totally different than than live and it's totally different and sometimes what translates to a drummer's ear is not what really translates over a mic. And a lot of times, you know, unless you're looking for a particularly dull drum sound, and I don't mean dull in a bad way, I mean literally just the top end is, is muted, um, you know, and, and it's kind of subdued. Like, um, 
it's really great to record with a brand new drum head or, you know, a, a broken in a little bit, you know, after a day of playing or, you know, a couple hours. Um, and a lot of times we use single ply drum heads or thin two ply heads. So like a, a Remo ambassador or a, uh, a Remo emperor are both very, very common heads for, uh, for recording because they're not too thick. They have a lot of clarity. They have a lot of life. And some guys might be like, Oh, they're, they ring too much or whatever, but you can always dampen it or, you know, in the mix, a lot of times the ring doesn't matter. A lot of times the ring is totally irrelevant. I mean, in the grand scheme, um, once the bass and the other instruments come in, you can't even hear the ringing. Like, and a lot of times guys will use things like the, uh, the SPL transient designer to actually add more attack and add more ring. And it's like, why not just use a, a thin drum head that has, you know, like more attack and more ring, uh, you know, generally speaking, thinner drum heads have more attack, more brightness, and more ring than any other drum head. Um, generally speaking, the thicker the drum head gets, uh, the duller it sounds, the heavier you have to hit it to kind of get a good sound, and the less sustain it has. And sometimes that's a good thing. You know, I really like emperors on the toms. And I really like ambassadors and emperors on snare. And um, it, it kind of depends what you like, but I mean, in the studio world, that's kind of a common thing. You know, ambassadors and emperors on the drums, um, it's you see it a lot for a reason. They're nice and they're bright and they're clear. They're cheap. And, you know, they might not last a, a long time, but, you know, most drummers... Like how long are you in the studio? You know, a, a couple days or whatever and, you know, recording drums, maybe not even that. And, you know, if the head gets dull, then change it. Like it's six bucks or something for, you know, a rack tom head and, you know, 10 bucks for a, a, a floor tom head or 12 bucks or something and, and 14 bucks for a, you know, a bigger head for snare or something. It's, it, it can be pretty cheap, especially if you're buying in bulk or in like the packages, you know, it can end up to be like $10 for that, and it's so worth it. So same thing applies on guitar. I mean, guitar and bass, guitar, brand new strings are very clear and bright, and they sound great when recorded um, in that way. And, you know, playing with a fresh pick, like not one where the tip is all, you know, mangled and you you don't get any clarity from the tip. I mean, that, that makes sense. Like, it really does. I mean, play play with the backside of a pick and see how, how much less top end there is, um, you know, on that side. If you play with a a pick that has a a sharp, fresh point, then, uh, you know, you'll get a nice clarity out of what you're playing. And, uh, there is a catch to all this and we'll get to that, that at the end, but, um, you know, really the same goes on bass. Like, uh, brand new bass strings sound great and they're clear and crisp. And uh, if you listen on the, the show we did about bass, um, you know, you can hear how much of a difference there is in having new bass strings. I mean, it's insane. I mean, the bass had life and, and you could hear those notes and they had sustain and all of these things. The same thing applies, really. Sure, there is a catch here. This is one of the catches that these things do have a lot of attack. And sometimes, you know, you don't want that much attack. You don't want it to sound plunky or like, you know, overly bright. However... It's always easier to take away brightness 
than it is to add it where it's not there. It's basically impossible to add brightness where it's not there. You got to stop thinking of an EQ as like a magical device that creates sound. It doesn't. Like all EQ is, is a volume control for notes. Like if you really think about what it is, it is a volume control for selected notes. And if those notes are not there, I mean, frequencies are just notes. And above the the fundamentals that people are playing, there are harmonics, which are still notes. Um, they're just higher notes. Uh, you know, the 8Ks, the, the 10Ks, the, you know, those aren't the note actually being played. It's a much higher harmonic. But those notes, those pitches up in those frequencies are there when strings are new, when drum heads are new, when picks are brand new, when br- bass strings are new. They're, they exist there very easily. Um, and those start to deteriorate very quickly. Um, I mean, even within a couple days of playing, some of that really top end stuff, you know, the 10K, that stuff just completely goes away. So you have to start with the source. And, you know, honestly, you could even go as far as to say, you know, using, like making sure that the vocalist is, you know, enunciating their words well. Um, because if they, if, if their mouth is too closed, the words can sound kind of dull and unclear if they open their mouth a little more, like I'm opening my mouth a little bit more right now. And I'm kind of, you know, scrunching up, not scrunching up my mouth, but the opposite of that, like, like sort of extending my mouth a little bit more. And my voice is a little clear. Whereas if I sort of close my mouth a little more and I don't open my mouth as much, then my words are a little duller and my S's are muted. And it kind of depends on the sound that you want. I don't know if, you know, your speakers or whatever you're listening on were clear enough to really get that. I'm I'm not sure how well that translated, but my point is the human voice can be brighter or darker and symbols can be brighter or darker. And, and again, it's not all about having everything super bright because sometimes you don't want super bright symbols, but in general, like I said, it's easier to take away top end than it is to add top end that doesn't exist. Um, then we go into the room. Now, a problem for a lot of guys is, especially, you know, listeners of this show, and I totally feel for you because I've been there, is in bedrooms and rooms inside the house or smaller studios, there's very little room for life in the room. Like, to kill some of the crappy reflections, there has to be absorption. And consequently, you absorb a lot of your top end and those reflections are kind of what help things sound lively. And it's a very difficult situation to be in because you need to control those things to get things to sound good. But if you kill too much of it, then things just, everything sounds dark. Like, everything sounds dark. Now, obviously, when you close mic something, it's a little better. Um, but sound travels at a 1,130 feet per second. So everything you hear is essentially, you know, bouncing around the room instantly. I mean, it really is. I mean, sound is traveling hundreds of times around a bedroom in a second. Hundreds of times. Even if it's a large room, you know, sound can travel around it five, ten times in one second. Um, And that's very fast, you know? And it's basically a millisecond per foot. And... So what you're hearing through a mic is is really the combination of the source and the room. 
even if the mic is close up. Um, I mean, you would really have to be, you know, under a couple inches to kind of remove the, the room from the equation. And then it's going to sound like bad. Um, and, and even still, there's a catch to that because if you put a mic on a guitar amp, you know, the guitar amp is very loud, so it's going to excite the room a lot more. And so putting a mic an inch away or right on the grill doesn't really remove the room from the equation because it's, cause it's loud. I mean, the only real way to remove the room from the equation is to be in a very, like, ridiculously treated room and mic extremely close and have the source at a moderate volume and the room be treated on all four sides. I mean, and that's ridiculous. Like, no one wants that because then it sounds bad. I mean, there's a delicate balance. So, so far, like I said, we've talked about the source itself, new strings, new heads, etc., um, and then the room. Now let's go on to mics because there are lots of different types of mics. There are brighter mics, darker mics. There are some mics that have sort of like an unnaturally bright top end. And there are some mics that have a really dull, smoothed over top end. Uh, some ribbons are just straight up dull. Um, to me, the mic in this situation is, is less about capturing the brightness and more about balancing the tone um, and capturing the mid-range. You know, don't just buy a bright mic because you think, oh, I need more brightness. I need to buy a brighter mic. I mean, that might help you if you have a dull room and a dull source. But again, a mic is just capturing what is there. So what you really want from a microphone is is to capture detail. And detail is not just in the top end. Let me repeat that. Detail is not just in the top end. If you want something to be clearer, it's not just about being brighter. Don't stop thinking of brightness as clarity. Like, sure, you can bring out some clarity by adding some top end on things, but you want clarity on everything. So then you'll just add the top end on everything. And sure, sometimes you do end up adding top end on quite a few things or on the master bus, but, but just stop thinking of EQ. So like, you know, in that way where, where, it's like, that's almost like saying, oh yeah, you know, a hundred Hertz is goodness. So I just don't want to turn it up on everything. I mean, okay, but that clearly won't work. I mean, there's some element of the idea of brightness that is, you know, if everything in a mix is bright or if everything in a mix is big or if everything in a mix is mid-rangey, it just won't work. So and that's a totally valid theory, and it, I mean, it's really true. It's less of a theory. It's more just a law. It really just doesn't work. There's, there's no contrast. Everything's fighting. Everything's competing. And to the ear, nothing sounds brighter than anything else, or nothing sounds bigger than anything else. Nothing sounds more mid-rangey than anything else. If everything sort of takes on the same hue, then you hear it as just sort of this smear, whereas if there are different layers, you know, complexity... Um, just a depth in the sound where certain things are, are kind of bright, certain things are really bright, certain things are really dark, certain things are sort of like right just about to be bright, but they're not. And certain things are very flat, very smooth. I mean, you can add these layers of dimension and, um, and depth. And that's kind of a big part of about what my book, Three Dimensional Mixing, is all about. So I'm definitely into that concept. Um, anyway... You know, the same kind of goes for bottom end, though. I don't want to leave out bottom end because bottom end is really important. 
Like if the source in the room, you know, has a big bottom end, then it will probably come across as having a big bottom end. But let's talk about the relationship between bottom end and top end, because let's say something says, you know, you're listening to something in the mix and you say, this needs to be brighter. Almost every time your brain could easily mistake something that's not bright enough for something that has too much low frequency information um, or too much low and low mid and mid frequency information because that's the way our brain hears things. It doesn't like stop thinking like when you pull up an EQ and you, you know, you see it by default that all the things are flat. Like don't think like, okay, so the sound is flat. So now what do I need to add? What is, what is it missing? Don't, don't ask yourself necessarily what is the sound missing um, when trying to EQ? Because what that, of course, will lead you to do is add things that aren't there. You'll try to add sound that's not there. So when you pull up an EQ and when you're listening to something, or even when you're recording and you're getting sounds, don't listen to, you know, what is it missing? Um, you know, unless it's something a little more like, oh, it's missing a little bit of air. Okay, well, I kind of get that. It's like, well, air is not really like a, you know, you don't want to add like literally the sound of air. I mean, it's that, that's the term we use for like upper, upper, like 14, 15, 16K, you know, and above, like just a little bit of like upper, super upper frequency stuff. I mean, I get that. But, you know, when you're listening to something primarily in the low end, you know, don't listen for like, oh, what's it missing? Because a lot of times you need to ask yourself, okay, what's, what is clouding up this sound or what is distracting me in this sound? What is, what is standing out about this that I want to remove? It's much easier to remove things with EQ. And there are lots of guys that are all like, oh, I never boost and I only cut. Well, that philosophy is also a little flawed because sometimes you need to boost. Sometimes there is a good amount of something there and you like it, and you want to turn it up. So you would have to turn down like everything else but that if you wanted more, which is really annoying and wasteful. Uh, I mean, and, and it causes more phase problems. Um, because again, think about, I mean, sure, all EQ moves add phase. Don't get caught up in that thing. Like no one's sitting there saying like, oh, I, I am adding too much phase. Like try to think of the the best move you can make on the EQ that uses the fewest moves. So let's say you wanted to take out a lot of bottom end. Okay. How much bottom end? Like, let's say a whole lot. Okay. That's a logical move. You can take out a lot of bottom end, but let's say you're you're like, man, everything, everything below 10 K is too loud. Well, doesn't it make more sense just to add some 10 K? I mean, doesn't it? rather than like taking a shelf that goes all the, I mean, at the same time, maybe there's something else you're not hearing. You know, you, you're listening for the wrong thing. So I challenge you to just sort of rethink some, some of those things, the relationship of bottom end and top end, you know, when you're mixing, because it's very easy to confuse the two. It's very easy to say, oh, this source sounds dull, but when in reality it actually just has too much bottom end, it has too much, you know, low frequency content. Let's move on. Let's move on. So microphones, try to get one that doesn't sound too hyped or too dull. Um, And if you do get mics that are hyped or dull, 
realize that they might only work in very specific scenarios. You know, dull mics might only work in, uh, on cymbals or something that's very bright. And bright mics might only work on something that's kind of dull and needs a little help. Um, like a finger-picked dreadnought acoustic might be a little dull depending on, you know, even with new strings, it might be a little dull, especially if they play it closely to the, the neck as opposed to the guys that play closer to the bridge. Um, playing closer to the bridge will be brighter. Playing closer to the neck will be more boomy and warm. So you might need a little top end, sort of exaggerated. But after the mic, you go you go into cables, and I don't going I don't want to get in a big tangent about cables, but I will say this: that I have done the tests, and cheap cables will lose top end, especially over long lengths. They just will. Um, they will kill a lot of that, you know, top, super top 15 K stuff. Now you might say, Oh, that doesn't really matter that much. And maybe it doesn't, but I've done the test myself and it's very clear that, you know, a Mogami cable, um, which you don't have to buy. You can make it yourself. If you don't know how to make your own cables, please, please do yourself a favor and learn to do that. It is so criminally simple and will save you hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Um, Mogami cabling, Versus, you know, I won't, you know, talk badly about these other companies, but brand X, Y, Z, cheaper cables that you see at Guitar Center and, you know, um, and some cables that people even really like, uh, they're just dull. They, they, they're dull in comparison. Um, they're not, they're not transmitting the sound in a good, good fashion. Um, and you know, if you have your whole rig wired up with that stuff, slowly it can deteriorate the top end. Um, but again, I'm not going to get on a huge rant about cables. From the cable, you go into a pre, and sometimes preamps can be a little dull. It depends because here we're in an interesting age of, oh, I want warmth. Well, you know, uh, I love on Dave Pensado's show. He's got that uh, Pensado's Play show, which I think is fantastic. Um, he has this funny phrase that's so true. It makes me laugh every time because, you know, he said warm is another word for dull. And it's, it, well, it's exactly what we're talking about. It really is true. Like if you really think that something sounds warm, oh, I want, you know, something to sound really warm. Well, be prepared for what you, you know, what you ask for because you're going to get something that sounds warm. And maybe that's not what you need. Uh, I think some of the best recordings I've heard come out of smaller studios are the guys that aren't really obsessed with being warm or fat or whatever. They're more obsessed with being clear and just trying to pick up a good sound. Um, and again, think about what their, their situation, think about that, you know, they're in a small room that will probably have lots of low end problems and adding more low end and more warmth to those areas might just be a ridiculous pursuit because you're just adding more low-end warmth to something that already has too much low-end. Maybe you should focus more on, you know, transformerless mics and cleaner pre's, you know, from Daking or from Millennia or from, oh gosh, GML or Grace or True Systems. Cleaner pre's that, you know, that don't really add a bunch of character. Maybe those would sound better. I don't know. Um, but then a lot of bigger studios that have bigger rooms, sometimes the low end is nice and tight, but sometimes it doesn't really have a thump or, or a real low, low thump. So they might need warmer stuff to enhance that. Now, I realize that I just opened a big can of worms, but 
I'm just giving you guys things to think about. I know that now that I've moved into my new studio, uh, the low end is so much tighter and it EQs so much better. And I feel like I can add bottom end even just subtly and it just sounds better because again, it's all about the source in the, in the end. I mean, it really is. It's all about the source. So realize that all you're doing is turning up, turning up a portion of what you're recording. Like EQ is not creating new sound. It is not creating new sound. It is, you know, really just like makeup and it can only do so much. So a mic preamp, if driven hard enough, if it's an analog, you know, sort of classic model, uh, if driven hard can add in some harmonics and that can be some low harmonics, it can add some top end harmonics. Um, some of these pre's have, you know, uh, EQ on them and sometimes adding just a little bit of top end. I mean, really just sort of cracking the top end open a, a DB or two can really help. And then sometimes guys will run into analog compressors and these can add just another smidgen of top end depending on how they're set. Um, if the compressor is set very quickly, uh, it might chop off some of those transients and might make something sound dull. Maybe that's what you want. Maybe it's not. It depends what it is. Remember that a compressor is a machine. It, it, it's not necessarily working in your favor. You have to set it to work how you want. And understand that where the transients lie in the frequency spectrum is dependent on what the source is. Transients are not all at, you know, 2, 3, 4, 4K. If it's an acoustic guitar, the transients might be more at, you know... 4, 5, 6K, or 10K, or uh, depending on where they play it. Uh, if it's a snare drum, the transients might be in the low end. Like, those transients might be more, you know, depending on how it's played and how it's mic'd. Maybe the transients in the low end are more predominant than those in the top end. Maybe it's more in the mid-range. Maybe it is more in the 1, 2, 3, 4K range. Um, because really, when we say transient, you know, we're really just talking about the initial part of the waveform. But, you know, really think, what, what I challenge you to do is take like a snare drum and copy it onto three channels. So, you know, have your raw snare file, have your, you know, dark snare file and then your bright snare file. And on the dark snare file, uh, use Audio Suite or some sort of rendering, you know, render it out. Don't just put a plugin on it, but like actually like process it and then render it and bring it back in and take all the top end out, you know, down to like, 1k and on the other one take all the bottom end out bring it up to like 400 hertz and just see how the waveform changes and see what you're left with because transients are sort of i mean on like on a snare drum you're really getting lots of information it's not just like oh transients up in the top end like generally speaking we associate transients with upper frequencies upper mid frequencies but but really i mean the transient is just the initial hit so um depending on how much of a balance there is on those upper frequencies, can alter the transient and alter its shape. So if you're sending in a certain sound to a compressor, let's say a hi-hat, well, the, the most transient part of a hi-hat is going to be the upper frequencies. And the most transient part of a kick drum will probably be the low frequencies. Um, and depending on, again, how bright it is, how bright it's mic'd, um, it could be sort of in the two, three, four, five, six, seven k range, depending on again what you're using. But just be aware of that. Just be aware that when you're compressing, you might be 
you know, chopping off the transients or, or, or adding more transients in a way that you don't want to. Um, from the compressor, and again, if you're not using a compressor while tracking, then this doesn't apply, but it does apply during mixing. Conversion, generally speaking, most converters today are fairly flat, like fairly flat. Now, there are other components that affect their sound, but just make sure that you're not using something cheap and crappy because it will suck the top end out. Um, it really will. And cheap conversion, uh, it, that's really the main place that you'll notice it is in the top end. You'll notice things sounding, just sort of everything sounding dull. Um, there's not really an openness. It sounds kind of stiff um, and almost not really rolled off, but just kind of muted up there. Um softer, I guess. It, it sounds just kind of spongy up on the super top end. And having cheap monitors, you, again, you won't be able to hear any of the things that we've been talking about for the top end, you know, the upper frequencies and the and the lower frequencies if you have a, a poor monitoring rig. I mean, below 100 hertz and above 10K, you know, if your monitors are cheap, it, it's not ever going to sound right to you. So you'll probably always be struggling with um, you know, oh, I can't really hear it. I mean, you'd probably be more likely to hear those things on a good set of headphones than you are on cheap monitors, especially the low stuff. Below 100 hertz, I mean, forget about it on a cheap speaker. Um, on something, you know, KRKs or whatever, you're not going to hear that stuff accurately. No way. Um, you'd, you would, I mean, you can use KRK, the brand, but I'm talking about like the Rocket 5s when, you know, the really popular, you know, KRKs. Um, but, you know, you really need something with like a 7-inch, you know, cone to produce those really low frequencies. And even, I mean, you can get them with a 5-inch or a 6-inch cone, but they'll only go down to maybe 50 hertz at best. You can't really hear the 40, 30 stuff. Now, some would argue you don't need to, but I definitely argue that you do. Um, I mean, a low E on a bass guitar is 41 hertz. Like, that's pretty important. Um, that's really important. And if he's in drop D, then what then? Or if he has a low B, what then? I mean, <laughs> so that stuff does matter. And and if, once you, when if you ever get the chance to hear a really amazing monitoring rig that can go down to those low frequencies, your whole world will be changed. And if you have, you know what I'm talking about. So now after that, we go into the mix. When it comes to top end in the mix, again, you can't expect it to happen in one stroke. It, it, it's kind of ridiculous to assume, okay, I'll, I'll put my favorite EQ plugin on this vocal and make it sound perfect. Well, sometimes that's not the way to approach it. You might try just listening to the mix as a whole and, you know, level match it with a couple other mixes that you like and just compare the brightness of the whole song, just the whole song. Um, and you might consider, okay, maybe I should just add a little bit of top end to the whole mix. Maybe that's not the approach, but maybe it is. A lot of guys do that. I do that sometimes. It depends on, you know, the mix. Um, just a little bit, a dB or two up at the top region, you know, 10K and above. Um, maybe that will help and maybe it won't. But compare just how and where am I? And make sure, again, you level, you try to level match the uh, the songs. And we're talking about average level match, you know, not by... Not by peaks, that's ridiculous. Do it by average, um, which means do it with your ear. Make sure you know listen and say, okay, these are basically the same volume um, to me. Their you know their loudness is the same apparent loudness, or at least roughly. Um, 
and just compare how much brighter is theirs and yours. Maybe it's a lot brighter. Um, so you might consider adding some top end. Okay, let's say you add a DB on, on the master bus. Just, just a touch. Just crack it open a little bit. Then maybe you add a little bit on, like, let's say talk drums. Maybe you add a little bit on the drum bus, okay? Maybe another DB, but maybe you do it a little lower. So let's say you do it like 5K, just to add, you know, a subtle shelf from 5K all the way up to 20. Just a DB, just to crack it open again. Um, brighten up the snare a little bit, brighten up the overheads just a touch. And we're talking tiny bits here. And then when you get to the snare, maybe you add a couple dB up top or the overheads you add a couple dB up top. That would be much better than just sticking on 6 dB on the master uh, and much better than just sick, sticking 6 dB on the snare or 6 dB on the hi-hat or 6 dB on the, on the overhead. Um, it really would be that much better because, again, some people would say, oh, it's much better to just use one EQ than to use four. And I would argue the exact opposite, because if you're using one EQ, you know, chances are, and I'm not talking about like on a single track, obviously don't EQ like crazy, but I'm talking about for a, an effect. So if you're trying to get the effect that the whole mix has a little more brightness, you know, it's not best to just, oh, I need 6 dB on the master of brightness. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a little wild uh, and it'll probably sound bad. Um, so think of these things as being a subtle sum of our, all parts. Again, if you record with a bright snare, with a brand new head, with a nice mic, with a good quality cabling and a nice preamp with some good harmonics to it, maybe you don't need any of this stuff. Maybe you don't need any brightness in the mix. Um, maybe you really don't. And, uh, and again, putting a compressor on in the mix will affect how you hear it. If something's got more transient, you know, upper transients, it's going to sound brighter. And if they're popping more because of the compressor, if the compressor is making them poke through, they're going to sound brighter. If the compressor is sort of chopping those off and limiting those down, it's going to sound more dull. So everything affects everything. And it starts from the beginning and trickles down little by little. I mean, again, if you don't have it on the source, you don't have it. And you can add all kinds of trickery and it's just going to sound like EQ because you're bringing up something that really isn't there to begin with. Um, and it, of course, it's just going to sound over-EQ'd, because it is. I mean, that is, to me, the definition of something that's over-EQ'd. When you're manufacturing sound, when you're sort of manipulating it in such a way with a processor that's turning up notes and turning up frequencies that don't exist, that aren't there, or are, are so quiet in the original source that... You're just manufacturing this sort of phony top end. Um, and we're all guilty of it. We've all done it. And I've done it. And I listen back, you know, later and I'm like, man, I just, that was a little too much top end that I put on that. Or, you know, very seldom or is it like, man, that's a little, that's a little dull. I mean, usually it's something more like, oh, wow, this mix has a lot, you know, too much low end. Um, but again, maybe it was too much. Maybe it was not enough top end. I don't know. Um, I just have to go into the mix and see, just carefully note the relationship, you know, of all these things that I'm saying can really apply to the mids and the lows. I mean, if, if you have a source with a lot of low end and you put it up with a mic with a lot of low end and you run it through a preamp with a lot of low end, okay, maybe that'll sound good, but chances are it'll sound too low end, like too much low end. So 
you know, start to think of things in terms of their final destination. And in terms of top end in the mix, um, you know, your best reference for top end is probably the vocal because a vocal can actually withstand kind of a silly amount of brightness. Um, not that you should. I mean, a lot of great vocals are pretty darn warm. Um, but a vocal can kind of withstand a lot of brightness. We're kind of tempered. Like, our, you know, our brains are kind of like accustomed to that sound. It's been in records for quite a while now um, of a really bright vocal. Um, but let's say you get your vocal right, like, then leave it. Like, stop touching the vocal. Like, stop touching the top end on the vocal. Don't try to add more. Like, if you're fighting, if you're fighting for the vocal to be heard, don't add top end. Like, that is not the answer there. What that means is there are too many things competing with the top end of the vocal. Um, other instruments are too bright. Uh, and, and, and again, solo up the vocal, listen to it, maybe compare it to some other reference tracks and say, okay, maybe this vocal could stand to be a little brighter or maybe this vocal is too big. Like the overall size of this vocal is just too big. The vocal is so much more important. So like frame other things around that, you know, like figure out how much brightness the drums will have based on how much brightness the vocal has. If the vocal's got a lot of top end, you know, maybe the drums can stand a little more brightness. Um, conversely, if the vocals got, uh, if the drums have a lot of brightness, maybe the vocal needs to be really mid-rangey. And, you know, that works a lot in rock and roll because rock singers don't often have this, you know, beautiful sort of airy voice. They have more of a mid-range aggressive voice. So sometimes you don't need all that top end on a rock vocalist. Um, you know, you get it more from the cymbals and the guitars. But Again, you can't just have everyone in the everyone in the pit like, okay, here we go. Everyone's got the same frequency, you know, makeup. Tons of cl- you know, again, like I said, tons of quote clarity on everything. Well, I mean, that's again, stop looking at top end as clarity. It it is a balance thing, just like a fader. I mean, it, you're turning up and down frequencies. That's all you're doing. That's all EQ is. Um and and you're altering the tonality of something. Uh, you're you're not creating new sound, you know. You're not really you're not really adding clarity. You're just manipulating sound to make it sound clearer. I mean, clarity comes from a clear sounding source, and whether you can fool people into thinking you've got clarity on something by using EQ is another story, and that is perhaps a harsh perspective, but it's just the truth of the matter. Clarity is clarity is clarity, and EQ can only enhance or diminish the clarity that already exists. Um, same with bottom end. You know, punch and low end and thump is punch, low end, and thump. And EQ is just a manipulation of the volumes of the relative punches and low ends and thumps. And so stop thinking that it's some magical tool. Um, something like a Renaissance, you know, R bass. Uh, that is a magical tool that adds sound that wasn't there before. That's a harmonic generator. And essentially it, you know, it, it adds sound that's not there. Like that is the type of thing that people think that EQ does and it doesn't. Um, you know, same type thing. Some of these like uh, Aphex oral exciters, they kind of do that. They do some of these weird, crazy things that they're adding. They're essentially adding harmonic, like upper harmonics that, weren't there before. And the same really goes for preamps and, you know, distortions from microphone tubes and from, 
you know, preamps and compressors, like these nonlinearities are adding harmonics and harmonics are just, you know, collections of sine waves that are octaves and fifths and all this from the, from the fundamental notes. And if uh, something has a lot of harmonic content, it can seem to extend in the upper octave and in the lower octave. It can seem to extend like higher and, and, and lower than it might normally. Um, you're almost, I mean, you literally are like creating sound that wasn't there before. And I know I don't want to get too spacey on you guys, but, um, just some things to think about. I hope this has given you some things to consider next time you go to brighten up a vocal or next time you go to cut some low end from something just to think that extra second. Okay. Am I really trying to add sound that isn't there or am I actually, you know, should I really cut something else? Um, should I be cutting low end from this source? Should I, should I be cutting mids? You know, is there just too much mid range that's clouding up my judgment of the top end or is there too much low end, um, to, to be, uh, is there too much low end where it's distracting me and I can't hear the top end? Um, or do I just need to straight up add top end? Is the top end on this nice? And I'm just adding a little bit more of it. Just give it an extra thought. Uh, email me if you've got questions, recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com and check out the blog, recordingloungeblogspotcom the Facebook, facebook.com slash recordinglounge. I'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks.